You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A tension-filled ceremony in Bella Bella has led to growing calls for accountability from the Vancouver Police Department. The two officers who wrongly handcuffed an Indigenous man and his granddaughter when they tried to open a bank account failed to show up at Monday night's ceremony where they were expected to apologize. Our Nithu Garcha is in Bella Bella with more on the fallout. Nithu. Chris, it was hoped that this would be a night of healing and moving forward. Instead, it turned into a source of deep disappointment for members of Heltzik Nation. This is where the healing happens. The Heltzik Nation Big House featuring art by Maxwell Johnson, a highly respected member of this remote community. And also the man who, along with his then 12-year-old granddaughter, Tori Ann, was wrongfully accused of fraud and arrested outside of Vancouver Bank in 2019. But the two officers didn't show up to the traditional apology ceremony they were invited to as part of a settlement agreement between Johnson and the police board. It's been very traumatizing the last three years. For the Vancouver Police Board to say that their presence here today is enough to reconcile what has happened to Max and his granddaughter is profoundly short-sighted. Thank you for being here, but it's not enough. There's no excuse for two absent persons. VPD Chief Adam Palmer was there. He has denied there is systemic racism in the force. Heltzik Hereditary Chief Frank Brown called him out on that and rejected a gift from the department. I can't accept this gift. The racism has been sheltered and condoned if you don't hold individuals accountable. Instead, the event became a way to honor the Johnson family. You are strong and you are our future. The board does apologize for the lasting pain and trauma. The police chief didn't speak at the ceremony. It was a really thoughtful ceremony and I'm glad that we were here, but I'm not gonna be making any statements tonight and tried to avoid any public comment. Hereditary Chief Brown rejected the apology and returned the gift. What was your reaction to that? No, I accept it's a very emotional time and it's a difficult thing for sure. The nation says his department's handling of the carefully planned apology ceremony only raises more questions about the institutional culture of policing and systematic racism. The nation's leaders repeatedly emphasized how their laws have been in place much longer than Canadian colonial laws. And they say in order to have closure, the arresting officers need to come to this community at a future date. Chris? All right, thanks very much. Nithu Garcha reporting tonight. And one day later, there is still little being said today about the absence of the constables at that apology ceremony. Our Kamal Karmali is live with more on that part of the story. And Kamal, you made a lot of calls today trying to get those answers, but you ended up with only statements. Statements that didn't say much, Sophie, and there's where the confusion lies. The Helsic Nation uh, claims that the uh, two police officers who wrongfully arrested Maxwell Johnson have not apologized 
face-to-face -face in person to Johnson. Yet the police union, though, says the uh, complete opposite, saying that they have. We asked for an interview with the union, but were denied. Instead, we got this statement. Uh, While constables Cannon Wong and Mitchell Tong were unable to attend for personal reasons, the Vancouver Police Department did send representatives to the event. Constables Wong and Tong have apologized in person to Maxwell Johnson and his family, in addition to sending personal letters. VPU members will continue to participate in ongoing training to ensure best practices are followed regarding cultural sensitivities. Now, the Health Sick Nation claims it was the Vancouver Police Union that, quote, interfered, uh, claiming the First Nation found out about a week ago the union was contemplating not allowing the two officers to attend the apology ceremony due to media being present there as well. Uh, now, we attempted to ask the union if that was true, but were denied an interview. We also reached out to the uh, Vancouver Police Service to try and get a hold of uh, Chief Adam Palmer, Palmer, rather, and were denied an interview there as well. Uh, now, lastly, Global News also attempted to speak to incoming Mayor Ken Sim, who will become Vancouver Police Board Chair. His team said he's in Las Vegas for his job. That's outside of his political duties. Sim had the support of the Vancouver Police Union while he was running for mayor. And also, if you remember, he promised 100 new police officers. His team, once again, though, saying, Chris and Sophie, that he's not available, uh, quote, uh, we have reached out to the chief directly and won't have any comment until we've spoken to the chief. That's from Ken Sims' staff. Back over to you. Looking forward to the day when we do get some comments uh, rather than mm -hmm. statements. Kamal, thank you. IHIT has released an image it's hoping will help solve a Richmond double murder. It was in March of 2021 that RCMP were called to a burning home on Rathburn Drive where they found the bodies of brothers Challen and Jobin Dinza. A burning vehicle found in Surrey a short time later is believed to be connected to the Richmond murders. Now, the homicide team now says a shooting at a number three road car wash in December of 2020 involving three vehicles that you see on screen now, a black Volkswagen Jetta, a silver Audi, and a black Range Rover is connected to the Dinza murders. They'd like to speak to anyone who can identify the vehicles and the people in them. Well, you're being asked to keep a lookout for what Crime Stoppers is calling the five scariest and least wanted trick-or-treaters this Halloween. These suspects make up the list of BC's most wanted. Now, uh, Robbie Al-Khalil, Amandeep, uh, pardon me, Amardeep Singh Rai, John Norman McKenzie are all wanted on Canada-wide warrants. Timothy Dale Bornick and Rico Zanoli round out that list. Metro Vancouver Crime Stoppers Executive Director Linda Annis says all these suspects are considered dangerous to the public. These are very scary individuals. Some have been on the run for a while, and you sure wouldn't want them coming to your door trick-or-treating this Halloween night. Somewhere, someplace, someone knows something. There is a $250,000 reward for Al-Khalil, who is the number one criminal on that list. That award, by the way, only available until May. Any tip can be left anonymously through Crime Stoppers or police. Information that leads to an arrest of any of these suspects could lead up to a reward of up to $5,000. Frustration is growing in downtown Vancouver, where businesses continue to deal with broken windows. The senseless vandalism is becoming so common that a local nonprofit is stepping up to help shops pay for the repairs. Amadagahi spoke to one business owner who suffered an added blow as he tries to recover from the pandemic. 
First thing was a call to the glass company in the middle of the night. The thickness of the glass and the obvious barriers put in behind it months ago for extra security. Because of our gates and security scaring the person away, they didn't get in. But yeah, we're left with quite a mess here to clean up today. Clearly not enough to deter a now common and costly crime. This could cost anywhere from, you know, 3000 to $12,000. In this case, there's two broken, very large panes. These are eight feet by four feet or so of three-quarter inch structural glass. Josh Bloomfield, the local and independent owner of Cycle City in downtown Vancouver, says those doing business here budget for security. But many cannot keep up with the frequency of break-ins and acts of vandalism. I think all businesses have to consider their security and, and needs, and that is a cost of doing business, but this is probably a little higher than most businesses should expect. Sometimes there's theft, sometimes it's just vandalism. These events happening so often that Downtown Van, an organization supporting the business community, has launched a special grant to help storefronts pay for repairs to windows, doors and locks. It is willing to match up to 50% of the cost, up to a maximum of $5,000. But we thought it was really important that we lean in and support our small businesses right now who are experiencing higher deductibles, who are experiencing the cost of broken windows. And this is a small but significant program that we think will go a long way in helping those businesses. This kind of uh, expenses right to our bottom line. Bloomfield has applied for the grant with his fingers crossed for approval. In the meantime, the break-in attempt has affected staff morale. It's really the, the financial and emotional impact that something like this has. That's the worst part. He doesn't believe policing will solve the issue in downtown Vancouver. Clearly more mental health supports need, are needed in Vancouver. Something he admits is a very complex problem to solve, but for now has left many businesses suffering part of the consequence. In Matagahi, Global News. A major call out this afternoon for Vancouver fire crews to a section of the downtown east side they are all too familiar with. Lay a line for yourself. Vancouver Fire Rescue got the call around noon about smoke and flames pouring from the roof of the former street church at 175 East Hastings, the scene of two previous fires. A ladder truck was able to pour water on the flames and prevent them from spreading to neighboring buildings, including the now closed Balmoral Hotel. We're currently at a third alarm. We've got approximately 20 to 23 apparatus on scene assisting with the efforts. Uh, just to ensure that we've got no fire spread uh, going to adjacent structures. At this time, we don't believe we have any fire spread to the Balmoral or to uh, the adjacent structure at 177 East Hastings. At this point, there's no word on any injuries or how the fire may have started. East Hastings is shut down in both directions between Maine and Columbia. The same chaos is gripping Victoria, where police are now warning hair salon owners about a, a string of what appears to be targeted break-ins, and in each case, the thieves are running off with thousands of dollars worth of stolen property. And as Kylie Stanton shows us, there's a pattern to how they carry out these crimes. Honestly, they just had chiseled off this entire lock. From the looks of it, whoever did this knew exactly how to pull it off, gaining access without even breaking a window. 
then walking in with a dolly in tow, fully prepared to get away with it. Our whole front desk was like rummaged through and our computers were missing. We saw obviously they took our till and then they actually stole my DSLR camera with all of my lenses. Karma is just one of nine hair salons and spas targeted by thieves in the past two months. In each case, a similar method of entry is used to steal easily accessible items. Victoria police officers are now proactively reaching out to business owners to help prevent them from being targeted. But say deterrence on a larger scale is really what's needed. Because there are little consequences to criminal activity and those that are prolific offenders that are committing criminal acts, um, that just emboldens criminals. There's a bunch of broken glass here. It's become so difficult to deal with. Some businesses like Black Apple Cellular that's been robbed repeatedly are contemplating what's next. Do we keep on taking these losses or do we just shut down the business? Businesses of course want to feel safe. They want to know that they themselves and their employees are going to feel safe when they come and go from work. Victoria's mayor-elect Marianne Alto did not respond to our request for comment. But the numbers don't lie. According to Statistics Canada's Crime Severity Index, which measures the volume and severity of police-reported crime, Victoria's index of 148 sits well above the provincial average of 93. Even Vancouver at 90 falls below. What we're seeing is a significant uh, increase in mental health uh, issues uh, amongst uh, uh, the street population, which obviously is concerning. It's one of the reasons why we put in place the peer-assisted care teams, uh, so it's something that police have been asking for, uh, and it's about working with police agencies to identify solutions that can assist them in dealing with this increase. The door was just open. For now, Yanchuk has ramped up her security with new cameras and lockup procedures in place. A big price for a small business to pay. I mean, it definitely hits harder. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. BC Premier-designate David Eby has announced his transition team, some of the key staff who will guide his leadership and the issues that will take top priority. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on what we can expect from the Eby era. Keith. Yeah, quite a buzz of legislature these days. We, not every day, of course, you see a transition like this going from one premier of an existing party and, and forming government to another premier, <coughs> excuse me, a member of the same caucus, and every day has a new event. Today, photo op with Premier President Dave, David Eby with his new team. You see that here in the room. You see Carol James there. She's the co-chair of the, uh, the transition team. Uh, Matt Smith there on the far left is the new chief of staff, uh, closer to the camera uh, to, to, to uh, Mr. Eby's uh, left is uh, Shannon Sh Salter. She's the former, uh, the current deputy attorney general. She's now going to be the head of the civil service. So some big changes in store uh, for the coming months and if not years under David Eby's leadership. Also caught up with Carol James again. She's the co-chair of the transition team. She says David Eby is going to leave his mark on this government in a very personal way, but don't expect big radical changes. And also, uh, he released a statement to uh, the public uh, service saying, I need your support both in understanding what is working well and how we can expand and develop those positive results and also what is not working well. He goes on to say as well that in terms of how can we move faster, more efficiently and more effectively without those results coming at the expense of you, your family and friends, and your willingness to work in the public sector. I've never seen someone release a statement like this in terms of coming in as a premier designate. And as I mentioned, I got ahead of myself here. Uh, Carol James, we caught up with her the co-chair of the transition team. She says David Eby is going to leave his mark, but it's not going to result in radical changes from John Horgan's approach to the job. 
I think, you know, they're different generations. Uh, you will see EB bringing in, as you saw in the, the assignment, some new fo folks and uh, some new fresh ideas. Uh, but I don't think you'll see a huge change in leadership. I think, again, they're going to bring in their own emphasis, and you'll see that with David EB. But I don't think you're going to see a radical change uh, when it comes to governance. So we're still going to be a bit of time before David Eby officially becomes BC's next Premier. He's going to be Premier Designate for some time. No date has been released for his swearing in, but we've been led to believe, look at the week of November 7th, probably November 8th or 9th, we expect David Eby and others to head to Government House to become formally sworn in as BC's next Premier. All right, thanks for that, Keith. The construction industry faces some big challenges. It's an industry that pays well with no shortage of available jobs, but there's a big threat looming on the horizon. That's next on the News Hour. Kids twist and shout at a real life school of rock coming up on This Is BC later. And ready for launch, how the cooler, wetter weather is saving fireworks, no matter what you're celebrating. Coming up. Right now, though, many industries across the country can't seem to hire enough people fast enough. And a new report says it has already cost Canada billions of dollars over the past year alone. The labor crunch comes as we're heading towards a possible recession. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, it's putting companies in a risky position. From construction to manufacturing, the Canadian labor market is showing no signs of weakness. Despite a predicted recession, companies keep hiring and jobs go unfilled. Labor and the cost of labor are the key issues holding companies back. You know, it's a competitive marketplace, so contractors are having to not just focus on the work that they're doing, but consider the work that they're going to be doing six months from now, a year from now. The struggle to hire enough skilled workers has made inflation worse. Wages have had to increase, but productivity hasn't kept pace. A report from the Canadian marketers and exporters suggests the Canadian economy has missed out on $13 billion in delayed contracts and unfilled capital projects due to labour shortages. In BC, most construction is done by small businesses forced to carry the risk out of their own pocket. Contractors are uh, a, a lot more aware of the risk uh, if they are overextending themselves by based on uh, project costs, timelines to get projects built. Pushed up against this labour shortage is what economists say will be a significant downturn in economic growth. But the two can't exist together. If the recession is deep enough, the economy will eventually start to shed jobs. So we, we really could be in a, in a difficult situation of high unemployment and, uh, and high inflation at the same time. Companies have indicated keeping skilled labour will be a priority during the predicted recession. But whether that happens will depend on how deep the downturn goes and how hard the landing will be. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Political pressure is mounting on the Bank of Canada as it is expected to make another large interest rate hike on Wednesday. As Global's Anne Gaviola reports, attacks on the central bank are now coming from all sides of the political spectrum. The Royal Bank says that the average family will pay $3,000 more in inflation and higher interest rates. Attacks on the Bank of Canada aren't just coming from Conservative leader Pierre Polyev anymore. The NDP is chiming in too. Those increases are going to mean people are going to hurt. And, and put bluntly, it's going to mean 
a very likely recession where hundreds of thousands of Canadians are going to lose their jobs. This month, in an exclusive interview with Global News, Central Bank Governor Tiff Macklem explained the need to raise rates. By making borrowing more expensive, people are going to borrow less, spend less, and save more. And that's going to take some of the steam out of inflation. Singh says our central bank should become like the Federal Reserve in the U.S., which has a dual mandate to tame inflation and promote maximum employment. But economist Armin Yalnizyan says the national jobless rate is already lower than most have seen labor in a lifetime. Are, we're looking at uh, labor shortages that we haven't seen in half a century. This former political science professor warns against the central bank bowing or being seen as caving to political pressure. If you undermine the Bank of Canada... Uh, what will happen is that you may have the kind of financial crisis that Britain was just thrown into. That's because investors trust the central bank more than elected officials. The institution is independent, tasked with maintaining price stability. It stands to risk losing investor confidence in our bonds and stock market, like they have across the pond. Straying from the playbook other central banks are following would also devalue our currency. It will probably lead to a dramatic decline in the value of the Canadian dollar. And if you think that that's going to help fight inflation, you're wrong. Investors and economists expect a 75 basis point rate hike from the Bank of Canada on Wednesday. But our central bank is already one of the most aggressive in the fight against inflation. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, a new twist for frustrated Formula E ticket holders. The legal maneuver that has them hoping they're closer to the finish line and getting their money back. And rejected why the big telecom merger of Shaw and Rogers is off for now. Still a busy commute for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby with plenty of congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Through Carmack Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Carmack, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Carmack Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Well, when Vancouver's big Formula E race was cancelled, it left thousands of ticket holders disappointed and waiting on a refund of hundreds of dollars. After several months, they are no closer to the finish line on that journey, so they're launching a lawsuit. And we'll bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua with the details. Ann? Thanks, Chris. We continue to hear from frustrated customers who have yet to see a single dime from organizers of the Canadian E-Fest event. A proposed class action is hoping to change all that. Right now, three plaintiffs are named in the suit despite reaching out to their banks and credit card companies. And the defendants, the suit states, they have never received a refund for their passes and are owed hundreds of dollars. The notice of civil claim names two companies as defendants, One Stop Strategy Group, the organizers and promoters of the Canadian E-Fest event, and ATPI Travel and Events Canada, a Quebec-based ticket reseller which acted as a ticketing provider for the event. The suit alleges fraudulent misrepresentation where the defendants allegedly advertised and sold passes at various prices for the event without securing all the required permits for the construction and operation of the Canadian E-Fest. It also alleges the defendants breached the business 
Practices and Consumer Protection Act by engaging in numerous deceptive actions and or practices in the supply, solicitation, offer, advertisement, and promotion of the passes. Now, just a note, none of these claims have been proven in court. Meantime, Richard Jang is a lawyer and partner with Diamond and Diamond Lawyers and is behind this proposed class action. At the end of the day, what we were looking to do was, um, in the interest of parties who have purchased tickets, what's the best course of action here in terms of recovering some of the funds that they've uh, put out and have not been refunded? Um, now, again, nothing has been proven in court, but we're making allegations that, uh, at the very minimum, um, there's a, a, a breach of contract uh, with respect to what the ticket buyers have paid for and the fact that no event has ever been delivered, which was promised to them. Now, Consumer Matters did reach out to both OSS Group and ATPI for comment, but we did not hear back from either company. As for the lawsuit, it still needs to be certified by the courts to become a class action, and that can take some time. However, if you are a ticket holder who has been unsuccessful getting your refund, you can contact Richard Jang at Diamond and Diamond Lawyers at rchang at diamondlaw.ca. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for that, Anne. Canada's industry minister is formally rejecting a deal between Rogers Communications and Shaw, but has left the door open for a revised agreement. The original proposal would have seen the transfer of wireless spectrum from Shaw to Rogers, but a side deal would have seen that spectrum then sold off to a subsidiary of Quebec Corps. Now the government says any licenses going to Quebec Corps will need to be held for at least 10 years, with an expectation that wireless prices in Ontario and Western Canada drop to comparable rates to those in Quebec. The Competition Bureau has opposed the Rogers-Shaw transaction, and if mediation talks fail, a hearing is set to begin November 7th. Coming up, clamping down on fireworks. We're just not seeing the damage to schools, to property. The results of Vancouver's ban and where you can still have a blast while you celebrate. Also ahead, a call out for donations with a critical shortage at the Provincial Milk Bank. Still a little slow for eastbound traffic across the Portman Bridge this evening. It's been busy all day and still busy on the approach eastbound through Coquitlam on the approach to the bridge deck. Tomorrow's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $34 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Global News has learned a B.C. woman held in a Syrian detention camp for more than three years is on her way back to Canada. Kimberly Pullman is a Muslim convert who married an ISIS member she met online. She served as a nurse for ISIS in Syria. Sources say she and a Quebec woman and two children are being flown to Montreal. Until now, the Canadian government had refused to repatriate any of the more than a dozen Canadians captured by Kurdish fighters but Pullman qualified due to what's being called a life-threatening medical condition. Well, the tiniest babies in B.C. need help, but from a very specific group of donors. As Krista Dow reports, the Provincial Milk Bank is running low on supplies and hoping healthy mothers will come to its aid. He is almost five months old, now healthy, happy and gaining weight. He eats well. 
Uh, you can see from his face that he's quite chubby. He absorbs well. <laughs> but this wasn't always the case. Ethan was born at just 32 weeks, weighing a little over four pounds. His early arrival meant his mom's breast milk hadn't come in yet. So his mom, Cindy Lee, had to turn to the BC Women's Provincial Milk Bank. It is very stressful, as I mentioned, that uh, I didn't expect this in any way. He is a little behind in his um, physical development. So I do want to give him the best that we can, we have access to. So this is the freezer with the raw milk. And as you can see, we've got a fair number of empty shells. Ethan, one of thousands of infants fed each year with donated breast milk. Right now, that precious supply is drying up with about 13,000 ounces in stock or just less than a month's supply. On average, the bank distributes about 14,000 ounces per month to NICUs across B.C. Ideally, it would have enough supply to last two to three months. Last year, of the 4,500 babies fed, 75% of them were premature. A number of our donors have retired and we just have not been able to get enough donors to replace them and to meet the demand. The bank is in urgent need of breast milk from healthy moms whose babies are under 18 months of age. For many mothers, particularly with a premature baby, it can be a struggle to establish that milk supply. But it's a wonderful gift to another family. Yes. A precious gift this new mom is now paying forward. Basically all these. Producing enough milk for not only her son, but for other babies in need. It's so meaningful uh, that, I, that I can tell him, hey, you know what? You were helping others ever since you were born. Krista Dow, Global News. It's a good way to look at it. Beautiful. Coming up, kids who rock. I've been playing a lot, so I'm not really nervous anymore. Now this BC Music School is hitting all the right notes. And coming up in sports, Rourke roars back. What to expect from the recovering BC Lions quarterback when he starts on Friday night. This week's rain is bringing some drought relief, and it also means fireworks are returning to some municipalities just in time for Halloween and Diwali. As Grace Key reports, it was another possible hit for an industry that's facing more and more bans. All you're going to do is just take the sticker off right here. There's going to be a green wick underneath. You're just going to light the wick and step back, and it's just going to at Fatboy Fireworks on Port Moody's St. John's Street, customers are shopping at the last Fatboy left in the province. Before, we used to have dozens of locations across the Lower Mainland, but now, due to all the uh, new rules and the changes um, with the laws, this is actually our Fatboy's only location in the Lower Mainland, and actually all of BC, for this Halloween. More cities are banning fireworks for the average person because of the fire danger, leaving it to professionals, mostly for events. In 2005, Surrey required a federal permit, and two years ago, Vancouver created a ban. Since 2020, we've seen a, a significant drop where we're just not seeing the damage to schools, to property, to vegetation, to our trees. So uh, I think it was pretty effective in, in doing what it intended to do. 
Dry conditions have meant another possible hit for the industry, with the threat of cancelling the Halloween tradition for cities who still allow it. Port Moody, West Vancouver and the District of North Vancouver all keeping a close eye on the weather. The fire risk has made a significant drop. Uh, the cooler temperatures and traditional fall weather have helped that, so the risk uh, in the forest and the area has gone from high down to low, so we're not as concerned. With fireworks expected to be a go for most communities, that's positive news for an industry dealing with tighter restrictions. In Port Moody, fireworks can't be sold on the 31st, normally the busiest day for sales. At the end of the day, it's something that people love, and I know that people won't let it die completely. The people that do have the passion for it and love for it, and they do respectfully do fireworks, they clean up their garbage, they don't make a mess, they follow the rules, they do it on the right days, they're going to make sure that this um, industry continues booming. Grace Key, Global News. All right, just a couple of minutes ago, we actually could hear the rain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, slightly concerned it was going to come through the ceiling out here, and I'm sure it's the same mm -hmm. where you are, Christy. Well, after so many days of dry weather, this rain is obviously welcome. But yeah, it's pretty intense out here. I have to say it's coming in sideways. I don't feel like my umbrella is doing a single thing. Everything of mine is wet. Um, I do have some good news, though, for you before I have some bad news. Here's a quick look at the current scenario out there. Yes, we're seeing heavy rain. We're seeing gusty conditions across the region. We're definitely in full fall form. But in not too long, it will ease off. You can see northern Vancouver Island already in the clear. And that's your tomorrow morning, everyone. So we do have some sunshine to look forward to, but it is going to be a chilly morning. This is more so what I'm concerned about. It is going to push in late tomorrow. We'll see lighter rain through late in the day tomorrow, but it's when the cold front moves through that I am mostly concerned. There are warnings in place for the north coast uh, southern regions inland. Uh, 80 millimeters of rain is possible. The storm warning, the purple you see is for the marine area, but gusts up to 100, 110 kilometers an hour are certainly possible. So here's look at the timeline. It is going to drive onto the north coast and central coast tomorrow. For our region, we'll start to see increasing cloud late in the day. We'll see a little bit of light rain. And then it's when this cold front moves across on Thursday that we're expecting similar conditions to what we're seeing right now. Wet, windy, intense rainfall. The good news is uh, this could have been like an AR, an atmospheric river, but it looks like it's going to shift across our region uh, fairly quickly. So that's exactly what we want because we cannot handle having prolonged heavy rain across the region right now. The moisture can't get into the ground well enough and we would have significant runoff. So some sunshine tomorrow, some light rain pushing in later in the day. Very very wet and windy on Thursday, and then it may ease off a little bit on Friday and Saturday before more wet weather pushes in on Sunday. For all you trick-or-treaters out there, plan for rain at this point, but tomorrow I will have your holiday forecast, or what I can of it right now, uh, this many days away. Tonight's central windows weather window, a stunning one from Tawasson. This was last night's storm underneath the cloud cover. You can see the ripple effect, that's called undulating apparatus, asparatus, pardon me. It's uh, a newer type of uh, cloud that has been categorized not too mm. long ago. A new cloud, mm. okay. Sounds too much like well, asparagus. a new formation like of cloud. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Christy. Okay, Squire is here. We're not sure if we're gonna be able to hear him or not, are we?
I can yell really loud. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, good. Mind you, you're just across the studio. <laughs> that is true, yeah. But for those out there who are a little further away from us, uh, after another good practice, Lions head coach Rick Campbell had this to say about quarterback Nathan Rourke. He made it through fine. Our plan is to start him and um, play him for probably somewhere around a quarter. That means Friday against Winnipeg. They want to make sure Rourke can handle game speed and have him ready for the playoffs in BC host Calgary. Very cool. Also, you get to try new songs and you get to uh, show everybody our talent. <laughs> Juniors who jam the School of Rock, pumping out future musical stars coming up. Excellent. So traffic on Friday going home after work will not be that bad this time. <laughs> will not be affected by a Lions game. Not a Lions game. There'll Some be a, other They'll be in Manitoba. Unless, of course, you're driving to Winnipeg. Then it might be a problem. I am not. Uh, <laughs> okay, good. Uh, that's where the Lions will be playing on Friday. And they will start the game with Nathan Rourke as the quarterback. The long rehab back from that serious foot injury he suffered in late August has now been completed. Now is the time to test to see if it can handle game conditions, to make sure Rourke will be ready to start and play the whole game against Calgary in the playoffs November 6th at BC Place Stadium. So let us hear from a healed-up Nathan Rourke, who is with Jay. News that is wonderful for BC Lions fans is that Nathan Rourke will start against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Friday. When you went down at the end of August, week 11, I think everybody thought your season was done except for you. What changed between that, then and now? Um, for us, it was never, it was never, you're, no, you couldn't, like, you couldn't come back. Like, that was never in question for me. I, I, I knew that it, some people were saying that, but the, the surgery was done specifically so that I would be able to have a chance to, to play in the playoffs, right? So um, just kind of kept that hope and, and kept it one day at a time. You've dealt with injury before, but I think this one you really dove head, in, head first into. You told me, we chatted on the sidelines wrote, that you worked on your diet, you're looking at special berries to eat. You've also been in the pool since week four. What did you do about this rehab compared to other ones in the past? Well, the, the, the challenge was to try to stay in shape without being able to use your feet, right? So we were looking for different ways to do that. Um, and the other thing was trying to reduce the swelling. So that's where you mentioned the diet came in and, and trying to eat as many anti-inflammatory foods as possible and try to not to consume much too much processed foods and sugar and stuff like that just because that's just not going to help um, and then con conditioning wise and just trying to get in the pool as much as possible because that was good for the foot and good for swelling and because those are obviously things that were the utmost importance. So you start against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers you're only going to play one quarter according to your head coach Rick Campbell how much does it mean to you to play that one quarter what can we expect from you? Just trying to get you know get things back to, to normal and try to get the timing back and and uh, what, what better way would you rather do it than against the, the, the two-time defending champs, right? So looking forward to that. Well, we look forward to seeing you in action on Friday. Of course, the BC Lions will host the playoff game Sunday, November 6th, 1.30 at BC Place against the Calgary Stampeders. Probably a good chance this guy will start that football game as well. And when that football game is played, it's expected that Rourke will be able to throw passes to his old pal Brian Burnham, who should be back from his broken wrist. He won't play this week, but says he should be good to go when the playoffs begin, and he is... What's the word? Giddy over the fact Rourke is back as well. He adds so much to this team. Um, 
you know, and that's not a knock on, on the guys who have been in there, you know, Vern, Pip, um, but Nathan's a special player. He's, I mean, you don't see guys like him come around too often. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you saw what he did in what the nine games he's, he's played in this season. So, yeah, that's what he has to the team. <laughs> Well, the Vancouver Canucks, that picture says a thousand words, lost again last night, 3-2 to Carolina. Closer score than the game really was. The Hurricanes were the much better team. Mind you, they're a Stanley Cup contender right now, and the Canucks are basically a draft lottery contender with no wins in seven games. But Bruce Boudreaux, who, I hate to say this, may already be in job trouble since he wasn't hired by Jim Rutherford. He was brought in before Rutherford was hired as the boss. Believes the Canucks are on the verge of breaking out of this with a game against Seattle on Thursday. Uh, as bad as it is, it's only four points out of the playoff spot right now. So, I mean, I mean, you can look at it either way you want to look at it, but we're going to get better. And we'll, but once we find the way, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be a good team. We've got good players. BC Sports Hall of Fame named its newest inductees today. It's a long list, 15 individuals, two teams. We don't have time to give you all the names at the moment, but we did speak to three of the inductees, starting with Ski cross legend Kelsey Sirwa of Kelowna, who is an Olympic gold and silver medal winner and a world champion as well. It's an incredible honor to join the BC Sports Hall of Fame, following in the footsteps of my uh, teammates Marielle Thompson and Ashley McIver. Um, it is just like so nice to relive the memories, all the opportunity that I've been provided through sport, uh, and then of course to use this to inspire the next generation of women and girls in sport to encourage them to pursue their dreams as well. Oh, unfortunately, we didn't get to the other two. Okay, Dennis Kearns is one of them. Um, Greg Canuck, played mm -hmm. a lot of years. Mm -hmm. uh, had the assist record until Quinn Hughes broke it. I just wanted to mention one other thing. It's not good news, it's sad news, but Merv Peters, who was the boss of the racetrack for so many years, passed away at the age of 91. Good guy. Mm. Mm. All right, thanks very much for that, Squire. Sad to hear. Up next, how to be a rock star. The school turning, turning out music's next generation just ahead. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, we're following some breaking news. Grandview Highway is either closed or partially closed, avoided either way, near Lillooet Street due to a house fire. Vancouver fire crews are there, and so is one of our cameras. We'll have video tonight. Plus, one of the spookiest things this Halloween is inflation, so we'll visit the Vancouver haunted house that aims to give you a scare about getting squeezed, especially when it comes to the cost of groceries, grave on foods, and the woman who came up with it tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Very clever. Yeah. Thanks very much, Jordan. All right, fans of the Jack Black movie might be surprised to learn Vancouver is home to its very own School of Rock. So let's crank up the volume on This Is BC tonight and show how teachers are hitting all the right notes with their students. Some of these young musicians barely know each other, but so far this new group seems to be coming together. I've never seen a band like this good. This is a crash course in onstage chemistry because at some point in the next few months they'll be headlining a live concert. We haven't told them too much about the performance yet. We don't want to make them too nervous. One and the three will be the kiss. 
and then the two Vancouver School of Rock opened its studio doors earlier this month, helping musicians of all ages and skill levels get better and build up their confidence. Maybe they're, uh, you know, shy and introverted in their regular life. All of a sudden, you put a guitar in their hands, they're up on stage, they're making loud noise, no one's telling them to be quiet. In fact, we're encouraging them to be louder and try things and make mistakes. Jack Black comedy was inspired by the original School of Rock that opened its doors 24 years ago in Philadelphia. There are now more than 300 locations around the world taking a different approach to traditional lessons. The motto is we don't teach music to put on shows, we put on shows to teach music. So these kids are fine tuning the songs and practicing a few tricks that will make for a great gig. If you throw it too little, it can only slip one. You have to throw it higher and land it back. Their big moments coming up. These after-school jam sessions will have this band ready for its breakout debut. I've only had like two group practices so far, and we've nailed the songs. We get to finally go on a real stage in front of people and show everybody what we can do. Jay Durant, Global News. How cute so is that? So good. <laughs> if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Quick School of Rock trivia, courtesy of uh, Squire. If you notice on the back of Thatcher Demko's goalie mask this year, back here, you'll see Jack Black from School of Rock with the guitar. Really? Very That's cool. Bad. Actually not. Doesn't that do your heart good to see kids with instruments in their hands? Yeah. You've got to see it. It's a, fun, it's a fun movie. I'm sure you've, your boys might have seen it too, uh, Christy. I know Will loved it. All right, last word on weather before we go. We haven't, but we will definitely. All right, so the rain will ease off. We've got a bright start to the day tomorrow. It will be chilly, but by evening hours, we'll likely see the rain redevelop. Back to you guys. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.